This archived broadcast of Janet Meffer Today is brought to you by Preborn. For $140, you can provide ultrasounds to five women in crisis pregnancies. Call now, 855-402-BABY. That's 855-402-2229 or JanetMefford.com. This is Janet Mefford Today. Our confidence is in Christ alone. Are we going to stand with God come what may? If the Word of God says it, I believe it! And that's the way it is. And now, here is Janet Mefford. Thank you so much for being with us again. If you want to know what biblical courage looks like, go back and read Acts chapter 4. This is the passage recounting how the apostles Peter and John ran afoul of the chief priests and Sadducees because they were proclaiming Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. They were taken into custody. They were told to speak no further in Jesus' name. And what did they do? They said, we cannot stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. Not only that, but when they returned to the assembly of believers, they prayed the Lord would enable them to speak his word with complete boldness. And the Lord answered that prayer. But what about us? We are in a nation now that is rapidly deteriorating into a post-Christian culture and exhibiting increasing hostility to Christians. A lot of us are asking this question, what do we do now, Lord? We're going to talk about it today with Dr. Erwin Lutzer, pastor emeritus of the Moody Church. His latest book is called, We Will Not Be Silenced, Responding Courageously to Our Culture's Assault on Christianity. And Dr. Lutzer, so great to have you with us. How are you? Great to be with you again, Janet. I'm doing fine. I'm glad to hear that. This is a very important book, I think, a very important subject. I'm curious to ask you, just kind of starting out here, you have been in ministry for a long time. When it comes to our culture's views on Christianity, how would you compare the America in which you began your ministry to the America that we're living in now? Well, that's an excellent question because I began my ministry many years ago. But in those days, even though there were disagreements, they were generally resolved by discussion, maybe argument, and so forth. But thanks to social media, thanks to Marxism also, and thanks to the present culture, what we are finding today is that arguments are not being resolved that way. They're being resolved by shaming, by blaming. The radical left says... I disagree with you, you disagree with me, and we just don't have a disagreement, but you are evil. That's why one of the chapters in my book is entitled Vilify, Vilify, Vilify. That's the way you solve the arguments today. Right. You just trample your enemy and then refuse to associate with your enemy if he happens to survive the trampling. I mean, that's that's where we are. And there are a lot of reasons, obviously, why we are where we are, where, where we are right now. Cultural Marxism, obviously, being one of them. But also, the, you know, you touched on something right there, which I really want to get your take on, and that is the power of propaganda. You wrote about Hitler cross. You know very well about Nazi Germany and the effect of propaganda on the nation of Germany uh, turning against the Jews. How do you see that era comparing to where we are right now? Well, Janet, again, thank you so much for your question. As you may know, one of the chapters in my book is devoted to propaganda. Yes. The purpose of propaganda is to so change people's perception of reality that despite huge contrary evidence, they will not change their minds. In other words, what you want to do is to put them into this alternate reality where they are in a groove and therefore facts do not matter. 
And we can give many examples of that happening today. One of the ways in which Hitler, since you referred to him, he used propaganda, by the way, sometimes it is promoted through slogans. Hmm. For example, when Hitler starved children, he called it putting them on a low-calorie diet. Hmm. Today, of course, when we talk about the killing of preborn infants, it is a health decision or the termination of a pregnancy. So language is used to convey a certain idea, and it does this in a way that oftentimes is very, very deceptive. So here's what you do. I discuss what I call cultural streams. There are several cultural streams in a culture, and we've certainly seen that this past year. You know, if you didn't bow to the mob, I mean, I'm, asked, I'm thinking, for example, of Drew Brees, who said that he stands for the flag because of its history and his own family's involvement. Well, the fuse was lit. He had to apologize not once, but twice. Yeah. Because the mob rule, there was a cultural stream that says, if you do not bow, if you don't kneel, at the flag, so to speak, in opposition to it. If you do not join Black Lives Matter, you are racist, you are homophobic, you are whatever, intolerant. Yes. And so cultural streams can come from two sources. One is the culture itself, and the other is through laws which restrict our freedoms. And so propaganda, propaganda actually can destabilize us. For example, I talk about the ACLU saying that, um, and I'm doing this from memory, but basically what they say is men can have uh, children, men can menstruate, men can do this, that, and the other thing. I mean, are we supposed to believe this stupidity? But the idea of propaganda is to speak with such authority that even when you're talking nonsense, you make people feel as if they're foolish to argue against it. Yeah. Oh, you're so right about that. What about pronouns? This is another area of propaganda. You must refer to Bruce Jenner as she. I will not refer to Bruce Jenner as she. Bruce Jenner has some issues that need to be resolved, but that doesn't make Bruce Jenner a woman simply because he gets surgery or grows his hair out. And yet they weaponize this kind of behavior. You must comply. And that's that's what I really am interested in as far as the demand for submission. What what part does that play in all of this? Huge. You know, I say in my book that we are so critical of the church in Nazi Germany. Now, as you know, I've written a book about Nazi Germany, so I've studied propaganda and so forth. But we're so critical of the church. Where is the church, people say? Where was the church? It wasn't standing against Hitler. Janet, I'm not sure that we would do much better than they, actually, because when I began to see how people were going along with uh, with mob rule, and how people were conforming to the expected cultural stream, I think that the church today would find it very difficult to stand against that kind of pressure. Yes. Because when your life is on the line and when you are being vilified and shamed by the position that you take, it's very difficult, and especially if you feel as if you are standing alone And yet that's where we are in our culture. And uh, the purpose that I wrote this book, by the way, every chapter 
has a section entitled The Response of the Church, because at the end of the day, I think that the church has the best um, uh, means of ultimately transformation. Although I didn't write this book to, to uh, you know, reclaim the culture as much as to reclaim the church. Amen. I hope we get into the whole racial issue, yes, because it's very controversial, but I also want people to understand what the church believes over against what is being taught in our universities today that is intended to divide the races. That's the whole point that many people don't understand. Absolutely. And and something that I want to pick up on in a little bit more detail when we come back from the next break is this issue that you've raised, the silent church. Would our churches today do much better? Does the pandemic give you any sort of indication when you see so few churches really fighting back against some of these unconstitutional orders from governors like Gavin Newsom in California who allows the abortion clinics to be open and the liquor stores to be open, but the churches have to be shut down apparently forever. Yes, I know that um, I like to give some freedom of conscience here because there are some churches that have opened and have discovered that uh, it spread COVID. So at this point, we can still be more tolerant. But if this continues and if government overreach becomes the order of the day, which it certainly can be, then, of course, we're going to have to push back, and we're going to have to take the position of the early apostles. Here we stand. I mean, I'm quoting Luther now, of course. Here we stand. We cannot do otherwise, so help us, God. And we have to be willing to take the consequences of our decision. That is such an important point. We're going to pause for a quick break. Dr. Erwin Lutzer with us. We Will Not Be Silenced is his book, and we'll be right back on Janet Meffer Today. This is Janet Mefford for Bible League International. What did you pray for today? Good health, safety, maybe to meet a goal? Those are good things to pray for. But pastors and evangelists in the Middle East aren't praying for material blessings or for an end to the persecution or difficulties they face. Rather, they're praying for copies of God's Word so that believers will be spiritually nourished and strengthened to live out their faith in this challenging part of the world. Many of our brothers and sisters in Christ in places like the Middle East, Asia, Africa, and Latin America live each day without their very own Bible. But you can send one today. Give one Bible for only $5, 20 Bibles for $100, or 200 Bibles for $1,000. Whatever you'd like to give, you can become a Bible sender by calling 800-YES-WORD. That's 800-YES-W-O-R-D. 800-YES-WORD. Or there's a Bible League banner to click at JanetMefford.com. This is Life Issues with Brad Mattis, president of Life Issues Institute. A burning issue worthy of public discussion across America is expanding the Supreme Court. Our government was designed to have three independent branches for an effective system of checks and balances. Court expansion would undermine the independence of the judiciary branch and make it a political arm of the legislative branch with partisan results. Watch a new video on the critical importance of the Supreme Court in ending abortion. Visit lifeissues.org and click on the top banner. 
Hi, this is Janet. It's been exciting to see so many of you help our ministry partner, Heart for Lebanon, this month. We had a goal to help bring the hope of Jesus to 100 families, and I'm so pleased to be able to tell you that to date, over 200 families have been served. We thank God for those of you who participated, but if you didn't have a chance to invest in what God is doing there, it's not too late. Just call 888-247-5499. That's 888-247-5499, or there is a banner to click at JanetMefford.com. You're listening to Janet Mefford today. And now, here's Janet. Welcome back. Dr. Erwin Lutzer is joining us. And I'm so glad he's here. Pastor Emeritus of the Moody Church and author of the new book, We Will Not Be Silenced, Responding Courageously to Our Culture's Assault on Christianity. One of the things, Dr. Lutzer, that you had raised before we went to the break, and I want to talk about this a little, is race has become this incredibly front burner issue in our culture. And we know that some people are genuinely concerned about racial issues and other people are weaponizing it for further means uh, to an end. But what do you think about the racial issue and how it's being used to guilt Christians, uh, you know, in a way that, it, you know, I've noticed is in fact dishonest. There's a lot of dishonesty surrounding the issue mixed in with genuine concerns. But how do you see this whole issue playing out? First of all, we have to realize that the whole racial issue has been influenced by cultural Marxism. Yeah. Marx believed that everything could be explained in terms of the oppressor's and the oppressed. So what has happened is the racial issue has indeed been weaponized, to use your words, and the way it has happened is this. You have the oppressors, which are white, and even if you are born into the poorest white home, still you are a person of privilege. You have those people of color, and they are oppressed, even though many of them are very wealthy and have done very well, but still they are not people of privilege. So totally contrary to the way Martin Luther King saw it when he said that, uh, you know, we should judge one another not by the color of our skin, but the content of our character. So what you have is critical race theory, putting people in these boxes deliberately seeking no possible solution except that the oppressed should overcome their oppressors and have cultural dominance. That's the whole purpose. I quote Saul Alinsky, who the community organizer here in, in uh, Chicago, yeah. who said very clearly, do not solve problems, use problems, create problems. So this is deliberately created so that there can be no possible a reconciliation, unless, of course, you have the revolution that they are seeking. Yes. Now, just for a moment, look at how contrast, let's contrast this with Christianity. Christianity comes along and says, you know, the, the differences between us aren't really that great, because we all stand as sinners at the foot of the cross. We are all guilty before God. We receive God's forgiveness, and now we work together to better our communities and so forth. So we don't have to shout at one another across all these racial fences that have been set up for us. And uh, this is why, you know, students go to university, they come back, they hate America, they believe that all of us are racists, and um, no room at all for individuality. Individuality is actually attacked. No room really for reconciliation or forgiveness. There's only room for a revolution. I asked someone at Moody Church 
He was born in Ghana, lived in Chicago, brought up there. He's a true African-American, as he puts it. (laughs) What do you think of our university studies? He said, we are growing farther and farther apart every day. We are told that there cannot be reconciliation until whites meet certain demands. And because those demands are impossible, the impasse continues. I can't think of anyone who has said it better than he did. That's really good. Well, the other thing, if we're to be fair here, is if whites are in a no-win situation because there's structural racism, we're all guilty because of our ancestors, even though we weren't alive at the time of slavery. And there's no forgiveness and there's no recognition that we fought a civil war to end slavery and that we had the Civil Rights Act of 1964. That ends up being so racist toward the white population and there seems to be no means of escape, which makes you wonder whether or not the race war is just not uh, on its way toward actually harming whites. Nobody wants to go in that direction. But what other conclusion can we come to if we say if we can't get out of it and you're furious, we don't meet the demands adequately? What happens? Does it turn into a physical fight? Well, it may. But here's the point. You've raised an excellent point. The great emphasis today is that America is to be hated. One of the reasons I wrote this book is so that parents who send their kids off to college, and uh, they can't understand why do they hate America when they come back. So the idea is we're going to attack our history. We're going to say that the Judeo-Christian foundation of our country was thoroughly capitalistic and racist and evil. It must be vilified so that America can be built upon a new foundation, namely the humanistic Marxist foundation. Mm. So... That's the thing. 1619 was America begun at that time when slaves came to Jamestown and when capitalism began. That's the project, you know, that the New York uh, Times had. Yes. Well, are they going to write the history, rewrite the history of other countries based on when they had slaves? Of course not. This is a targeted project to make America look evil. And one thing you will never find, Janet, is that these people will compare America with another country. I mean, Saul Alinsky even made it clear that if you do that, it's hard It's hard to get people to hate America. Hmm. So what you do is you criticize it in relationship to its highest ideals. And since America isn't perfect, and we all admit it certainly isn't, what you do is you blame, blame, blame with the hope that people will understand that only Marxism can be the solution. Yeah, that's right. Well, going back to the weakness of the church, though, you have people within evangelical leadership who are embracing critical race theory. You have seminaries and Christian colleges that are embracing critical theory and critical race theory and are turning to the parishioners and saying, you guys are racist, you guys are guilty. I mean, the church should be a place where we do emphasize the forgiveness of God through Jesus Christ for whatever sin we actually did commit how much does this weaken the church when we have people on board with this cultural Marxism who are trying to be the representatives of Christianity to people like us? I tell in my book about a man who's involved in an organization that all your listeners would know about. It's been known for evangelism. He said he went to the last annual meeting and he thought that he had been in a social justice conference. Now, there's a right way to define social justice, but there's also a wrong way. But to your point, what is happening today is that social justice is really replacing the gospel. In fact, you even hear evangelicals talking about the gospel of social justice. 
And I point out that social justice at its best is not the gospel. The gospel is not what we can do for Jesus. The gospel is what Jesus has done for us. So we need to understand this. I even refer to the Southern Baptists because, as you know, at their last convention, they had, uh, what was it, Proposition 9, yes. which was intentionally written to be critical and condemn contemporary race theory, and it was revised by progressives so that it says, even though it isn't a uh, worldview, it's helpful in interpreting things, etc. So, yeah, that's too bad, but churches oftentimes have left behind the gospel And there's so much else that could be said about that. The implications for evangelism, which are being washed away in this great cultural stream of social justice. And what we must recognize is this, that we are being more impacted by the culture then we are impacting the culture. Very true. What do we do about it? Because we are quickly moving into times, it seems more and more, where it is going to cost us something to be Christians. We don't want to be like those uh, church members in uh, Nazi Germany who didn't do the right thing. We want to be able to do the right thing, but part of that involves thinking ahead and saying, what is my plan of action here? What, What do you think Christians ought to be thinking about, praying about, and doing at a time like this? Well, first of all, we have to be equipping the church for the culture that is around us and to help them to discern, you know, what is biblical and what isn't. Another thing that we have to fight against, Janet, I point out that the cell phone in your teenager's hand does more to inform his or her worldview than going to church for an hour a week or attending a Sunday school class. So it has to begin with individuals, it has to begin with the families. Churches need to strengthen their instruction. And then, yes, what we need to do is to teach the church that throughout 2,000 years of church history, for most of those times, it was costly to follow Christ. And you did lose your job, and you were marginalized, and you were vilified. So that's the era in which we are entering. For some people, we've already entered it. But we need to take that. Jesus said, blessed are you when men revile you and persecute you and say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Great is your reward. We have to go back to early Christianity. Well, we do. And and going back to that passage that I had cited at the beginning of our interview, Acts 4, I love that passage because here were these apostles. They just didn't fear anything but God. I mean, that's what it really comes down to, doesn't it? Don't fear man, fear God. Easier said than done sometimes. But perhaps that's why we need to go back and pray as they did. Lord, you know, grant us a complete boldness to preach your word at this time. And I give examples of martyrs who are willing to give their lives. And, you know, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they feared God more than they did the flames. Yes. And so they were willing to be thrown into the fire. And um, God is going to have to birth in us that kind of thing. Now, I end the book with a chapter, Strengthen What Remains, the Words of Jesus to Sardis. And one of the things that I point out is that even though this church no longer saw the world as its enemy and had submitted to the culture, Jesus does say, but there are still some of you who have not soiled their garments and they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. Mm -hmm. So what we need to do is to appeal to those who are still standing strong 
encourage them to stand stronger and encourage others to join them. That is wonderful. Dr. Erwin Lutzer, We Will Not Be Silenced, is his great book. And Dr. Lutzer, always a pleasure to have you here. Thank you so much. Thank you, Janet. You are very welcome. Thanks for being with us. We'll be back on Janet Meffer today. This archived broadcast of Janet Meffer Today is brought to you by Preborn. For $140, you can provide ultrasounds to five women in crisis pregnancies. Call now, 855-402-BABY. That's 855-402-2229 or JanetMefford.com. This is Janet Mefford Today. And now, here's your host, Janet Mefford. Boy, there's so much going on. With this election, it just keeps going and going and going. Some good news. This Pennsylvania appellate court handed the Trump campaign a victory yesterday, allowing this representative to be as close as six feet away from the vote counting process underway at the convention center in Philadelphia. This is via Fox. Of course, we know how that turned out. <laughs> we know how that turned out. I want to I want to play for you a couple of excerpts from what went on in Philadelphia yesterday, because even with this court order, they were not able to get close enough to be able to adequately observe the vote counting. What a shock. Former Florida Attorney General Pam Bondi was out there. Corey Lewandowski, they've been out there. Uh, they were there for the press conference the day before announcing the litigation. This was Corey Lewandowski on a bullhorn because the left was out in full force screaming, yelling and blaring music to try to drown them out. But this is a free and fair election, folks. Listen to Corey Lewandowski. This is cut five. A judge has given an order to allow us to see every ballot. But the criminals inside say no. And so now we are required to call the sheriff and to make sure the judge's order is fully enforced. That is what democracy is supposed to be. Yeah, it's all about free and fair elections. Both sides want free and fair elections, or do they? If you don't want people to observe what you're doing, that's usually a sign that you're doing something you shouldn't be doing. This is just kind of babysitting 101 or mother or fatherhood 101. If the kid is trying to hide something behind his back, you can be sure he has something he shouldn't have. This is not something that's difficult for people to ascertain. So Pam Bondi announced a little bit more about what was going on in Philadelphia. She, too, was having a little bit of trouble trying to drown out the people who were trying to drown her out. This is Cut 6. Hey, everyone. We wanted to give you an update. They are still not in compliance. Our votes are being suppressed. We cannot count the votes properly. What's happening is they have moved the barrier up to six feet, but they took away the ballot machines that were in the front row and moved them to the back of the building. It's unbelievable what they're trying to do to our votes that have been legally cast. Whether you're a Democrat or a Republican, your legal votes must be tabulated, and they're not doing that. They will not let us see anything. They're trying to drown us out now where we can't be heard. We're not going away. 
Well, God bless them. I'm glad they're out there and I'm glad they were trying to get the word out. Can you imagine what this whole process would be like if the only way we had of learning this information was the mainstream media? Think about that for a moment, how outrageous it would be because there would be so much stuff going on and the media would never report it because they're just an arm of the DNC. They don't want you to know anything that's going to hurt Joe Biden and Kamala Harris. They don't want you to know anything that's going to get in the way of the Great Reset, period. These people are all in. They are activists and they will not be dissuaded and they will not do their jobs. And I am so angry about it. And I know millions of other Americans are mad about it as well. But I just had that observation because between the fact that you've got Twitter and you've got Facebook, even though Facebook is constantly and Twitter too, constantly censoring conservatives, at least you can get some stuff through and and word can get out a little bit on the Internet. But I, I have no faith in the Internet long term. And course we have radio christian radio so we can tell the truth to you god bless you for listening now the president spoke last night he did his first press conference in a couple of days and i was looking at him thinking to myself oh god bless you you've got to be so tired you have to be so tired and joe biden also spoke now i want to play a little bit of what joe biden had to say first because i want to put it all in context and compare and contrast what he said to what President Trump had to say. So let's listen first to a little bit of what Joe Biden said. This is cut one. In America, the vote is sacred. It's how people of this nation express their will. And it is the will of the voters. No one, not anything else, that chooses the president of the United States of America. So each ballot must be counted. And that's what we're going to see going through now. And that's how it should be. Democracy is sometimes messy. It sometimes requires a little patience as well. But that patience has been rewarded now for more than 240 years with a system of governance that's been the envy of the world. And we continue to feel, Senator and I, we continue to feel very good about where things stand. We have no doubt that when the count is finished, Senator Harris and I will be declared the winners. So I ask everyone to stay calm, all the people to stay calm. The process is working. Well, that's a little creepy, isn't it? Considering how the process is going, not just in Philadelphia, but in numerous spots in these states that have yet to be declared for Trump or for Biden yet. And it's all kinds of fraud, all kinds of reports. For example, last night, the Weir Law Group had sent a letter saying that as many as 6,000 illegal votes were identified in Nevada. So we're still waiting on what's going on there. It just goes on and on and on. And we've got all of these poll workers coming out talking about all kinds of corruption there. I'm going to play actually one of those for you before I get to what President Trump had to say, because this guy is a registered Democrat and a poll watcher in Philadelphia. This was actually censored by Twitter, but we were able to grab it. Listen to cut eight. My name is Brian McCaffrey. I'm a registered Democrat in the city of Philadelphia. Today, I'm at the Philadelphia Convention Center. And I am overseeing the ballot counters. I will let you know the corruption that is going on here. They will not allow us within 30 to 100 feet to supervise the ballots being counted. This is a coup against the president of the United States of America. And I want to call out the mayor of Philadelphia, James Kenney. 
the Attorney General, Josh Shapiro, who tweeted that there's no way Donald Trump can win President of the United States of America, and also the District Attorney of Philadelphia, Larry Krasner. I can't believe what I'm seeing right before my eyes. This has nothing to do with Joe Biden or Donald Trump. This has to do with our democracy. And I will tell you, there is corruption at the highest level in the city of Philadelphia. Oh, I don't know if the New York Times is going to like that. They're going to have to fact check you. They're going to have to shut you down. I got more on that in a few minutes. But this guy is not a Republican. This guy is a Democrat. And he's a Democrat calling out the leaders of Philadelphia for their egregious corruption. And meanwhile, the mainstream media is holding the water for these people. There's no corruption. There's no evidence of anything. Everything that Trump said last night is a lie. Oh, all kinds of smears, unsubstantiated claims. And yet they can't come up with any facts to refute him. In fact, because there are so many things that are being reported, especially on Twitter, and as fast as people can post them on Twitter, Twitter is censoring these people and putting little, you know, caveats and little warning signs. You may not want to tweet this because you you may want to read it first before you tweeted it. And what's hilarious is you have a number of people responding and reacting to that on Twitter by saying, I wrote the article, Twitter. How about you let me tweet my own article? I don't have to reread my article. I know it's true. Other people can read it for themselves. You know, knock it off. Who is Jack Dorsey and who is Mark Zuckerberg to determine what is eternal, ultimate truth? These guys have no such credibility. They have no such role in society. You guys run a couple of social media sites for the left. Congratulations. You're a lackey for the left with a few billion dollars in your pocket. Good for you. But you're not doing your country any favors. And it's not up to you to be a publisher. You're not a publisher. You're not a publisher. That's why you have a carve out in Section 230 that everybody is talking about now saying that you guys are social media sites and you're supposed to allow people to be able to talk to one another and share information. Good grief. If you went around fact checking every single tweet that was wrong, you should have to be deleting all kinds of tens of millions of tweets because I see stuff You know, anything you can think of that's fake and made up on Twitter, it's all over the place. But they choose who they will censor. And boy, they don't seem to really love to censor the left, do they? The left lies all the time. The left puts out fake stuff all the time. I don't see the left and the leftist media being treated in the same way that the New York Post was treated over the Hunter Biden emails. Which, by the way, that's a nice little story that kind of faded into the background. We're not going to stop talking about it, though. And when we come back, I want to get into the president's speech. It was very good and drove the New York Times crazy. We'll get to that right after this. You're listening to Janet Meffer today. Every day we make choices, but when a young woman with an unplanned pregnancy has to choose between the life or death of her baby, this will be one of the biggest choices she will ever make. This young mom came to a preborn center under pressure to terminate the life of her 22-week-old baby and was offered choices. When I started talking with Carolyn, she was helping me decide what I can do, like giving me options that there's just not abortion. After meeting her baby on ultrasound and receiving the love and support she needed at a preborn center, this mom had a heart change. Right here, you can see this is the outline of her face. Her hand is right here, her arm, and her leg. 
I was so shocked. I was really happy. I can't believe that I have a little child in me. Preborn is the largest provider of free ultrasounds in America, introducing moms to their preborn babies. For $140, you can help rescue five babies' lives. And now through a match, your gift will be doubled. To donate, call 855-402-BABY, 855-402-2229. Are you in need of a health care program? You're in luck. As a member of Liberty HealthShare, you're part of a community that comes together to share their medical expenses. You can sign up throughout the year with memberships starting as early as the following month, and there are no contracts or commitments. Programs start as low as $349 per month, and there's no network, so you can choose your own doctors and hospitals. Liberty HealthShare is a nonprofit ministry, not insurance, so your money goes toward helping other members with their eligible medical expenses. And in your time of need, other members are there for you too. You can feel good knowing you're part of a community of like-minded individuals who understand the importance of people coming together to bear one another's burdens. Find out more at libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT. That's libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT. Or call now 855-565-2561. 855-565-2561. You're listening to Janet Mefford today. And now, here's Janet. Well, you heard Joe Biden say earlier yesterday... Oh, the vote is sacred and it's the will of the voters and democracy is messy and we continue to feel very good. The process is working. Yeah, I'll bet the process is working. Yeah, the process is working great. They're coming up with all kinds of votes from people who were born in 1830. Fabulous how that process is working, isn't it, Joe? Well, President Trump had his say. He did about a 17-minute press conference, uh, followed up, by the way, by a reporter who was yelling, are you just being a sore loser? I'm like, well, we don't have a winner yet. So in what way would President Trump be, be a sore loser? But I'll leave that aside for now. Here was how the president started things off. Cut to. If you count the legal votes, I easily win. If you count the illegal votes, they can try to steal the election from us. If you count the votes that came in late, we're looking at them very strongly. But a lot of votes came in late. I've already decisively won many critical states, including massive victories in Florida, Iowa, Indiana, Ohio. To name just a few, we won these and many other victories despite historic election interference from big media, big money, and big tech. As everybody saw, we won by historic numbers. And the pollsters got it knowingly wrong. They got it knowingly wrong. We had polls that were so ridiculous, and everybody knew it at the time. There was no blue wave that they predicted. They thought there was going to be a big blue wave. That was false. That was done for suppression reasons. But instead, there was a big red wave. Now, later on, he gave his thoughts on the election a little bit further. This is cut three. I watched a lot of different elections before they decided to go with this big, massive election with tens of millions of ballots going out to everybody, in many cases totally unsolicited. This was unprecedented in American history. This was by design, despite years of claiming to care about the election security. They refused to include any requirement to verify signatures, identities, or even determine whether they're eligible or ineligible to vote. People are walking in there. They have no idea. They're just taking 
The numbers, they're writing down things, the workers, and doing a lot of bad things. And we have a lot of information coming and litigation that you'll see that will uh, shake even you people up. And you've seen it all. The officials overseeing the counting in Pennsylvania and other key states are all part of a corrupt Democrat machine that you've written about. And for a long time, you've been writing about the corrupt Democrat machine. Yeah, well, I don't know if the people in that room have been writing about the corrupt Democrat machine for a long time because they don't think it's a bad thing. So they're probably not writing about it. But all the evidence for fraud is piling up day by day by day, bit by bit by bit, hour by hour by hour. Here's one example. This is from the Gateway Pundit. A woman monitoring the ballot counting in Detroit has asserted that at least 130,000 ballots, all for Joe Biden, were brought to the center in three vehicles at 4 a.m. She put up a testimonial on Facebook Live saying that people who were there counting ballots throughout the evening were ready to shut down when suddenly a white van, a Chrysler 300 and a Ferrari pulled up with over 130 30,000 additional ballots. The process is working. How about this story? Project Veritas has been all over this voter fraud thing as well. Here are a couple examples of this. Traverse City, Michigan, a U.S. Postal Service insider told Project Veritas founder and CEO James O'Keefe that his supervisor instructed mail carriers at his work site that all new ballot envelopes should be segregated in bins so that postal clerks could fraudulently hand postmark them as received on November 3rd. And this was done, by the way, according to this postal worker, on November 4th. His supervisor, post-date, well, pre-date, really, pre-date these ballots. Anything you find in the mailboxes, just hand-stamp them as having been postmarked November 3rd, even though today is November 4th. That guy should be fired, not the postal worker, the supervisor. Then you have a Las Vegas mailman agreeing to pass on a nice handful of unclaimed ballots to a Project Veritas undercover journalist. That's nice. Terrific. It just goes on and on and on, folks. There's so many examples of this, which is why increasingly you have to have big tech and big media discredit everybody. Well, you can't discredit everybody. So you got to censor the people you can't discredit. And then you just scream Trump is evil at the top of your lungs over and over and over again. And Trump's a liar. Trump's a liar. Trump's a liar. It doesn't make him a liar just because these people are name calling. So I want to go to one last cut here from the president. This is such an important cut. Listen to cut four. I challenge Joe and every Democrat to clarify that they only want legal votes because they talk about votes and I think they should use the word legal, legal votes. We want every legal vote counted and I want every legal vote counted. We want openness and transparency, no secret count rooms, no mystery ballots, no illegal votes being cast after election day. You have election day and the laws are very strong on that. You have an election day and they don't want votes cast after election day and they want the process to be an honest one. It's so important. We want an honest election and we want an honest count and we want honest people working back there because it's a very important job. So that's the way this country is going to win. That's the way the United States will win. And we think we will win the election very easily. We think there's going to be a lot of litigation because we have so much evidence, so much proof, and it's going to end up perhaps at the highest court in the land. We'll see. But we think there'll be a lot of litigation because we can't have an election stolen like this. And I, I tell you, I, was, I have been talking about this for many months with all of you, 
And I've said very strongly that mail-in ballots are going to end up being a disaster. Small elections were a disaster. Small, very easy-to-handle elections were disastrous. Uh, this is a large-scale version, and it's getting worse and worse every day. We're hearing stories that are horror stories, absolute horror stories. And we can't let that happen to the United States of America. It's not a question of who wins, Republican, Democrat, Joe, myself. We can't let that happen to our country. We can't be disgraced by having something like this happen. He's right about that, because you can't have a republic when only one side wants fair elections. And if Joe Biden were all about fair elections, he would talk about every legal vote being counted and he would go out and he would be just as strong as President Trump on this whole point that he was making, which is we're not trying to win illegally. We're trying to get the legal votes counted correctly and not have all these ballots show up out of nowhere from people who were born in 1800 and illegal illegal ballots and, and people who are being told to use Sharpies, which the poll workers know will not allow the vote to count when it's gone into the machine. So this is the kind of stuff we're trying to stop. And meanwhile, this is just crazy. Well, totally predictable, but crazy nonetheless. This Facebook group rose up called Stop the Steal. Have you heard about this? And it was started by this woman and they it was unbelievable. They had Hundreds of thousands of people join this in record time. The New York Times even admits this. The viral video that was put out about Biden stealing the vote and being unfair, um, this helped turn the Stop the Steal Facebook group into one of the fastest growing groups in Facebook's history. By Thursday morning, less than 22 hours after it was started, it had amassed more than 320,000 users. And that is incredible. At one point, it was gaining 100 new members every 10 seconds. It caught the attention of Facebook executives who shut down the group hours later for trying to incite violence. Oh, right. Okay. And then they spend the rest of this article, this Shira Frankel at the New York Times saying it became a hub for people to falsely claim that the ballot count was being manipulated and unsubstantiated and inaccurate posts were there with no proof whatsoever that anything that was on that Facebook group was unsubstantiated or false. She's just editorializing through the entire piece. Oh, falsely. Oh, now there's no credibility whatsoever. We're the New York Times. You're the New York Times. You guys are the ones who on Election Day had put out a tweet saying that it falls to the news media to declare the winner of a presidential election in the United States. That's what the New York Times put out, totally unconstitutional, and it was embarrassing for them because it was dead wrong. And they had to take it down and put out a new tweet, and they said, oh, we were imprecise. You weren't imprecise, you're ignorant. You're the newspaper of record for the country, but you can't get basic constitutional principles right. The news media does not declare the election. They can say it all they want. doesn't mean anything. I can declare an election. Why do you think so many people now are coming out and saying, all right, I declare unilaterally that Trump has won Georgia. Joe Biden has declared unilaterally that he won the election. He's put out a transition website already, which is true. What comes of it? Dick Morris has actually suggested the state legislatures in some of these swing states could make a difference because they can step in, even though they have all these Democrats involved, they have Republican legislatures. So could the legislatures step in and stop the madness and take over the counting process, potentially, but it would take a whole lot of citizenry in all of these states to rise up and say, step in, step in, you who we have elected to oversee what goes on in this state, 
get this thing right. Because if you don't have free and fair elections in the United States, how do we stay a free nation? How do we stay a republic at all? Pray for our country. Thanks for being with us. We'll see you next time on Janet Mefford Today.